0: Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahneman.
1: Thanks, Justin. Thanks to me. And thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahneman on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas today. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited about this brand. They are blowing up in the cannabis space and in the beverage cannabis space. On the podcast today is co-founder Luke Anderson of Can, C A N N. Dude, I'm so excited that you're here with us today. Thanks so much for making the time.
2: Hey, thank you for having us. Um, we're we're blowing up in our tiny little segment of the cannabis industry, but. People still think that we're tiny and that beverage isn't going to be a thing. So it's great to get the word out.
1: I am so excited. I've had other um, entrepreneurs in the cannabis space on the last couple of months. We've talked a lot about the market and how it's shifting and changing and growing and evolving. And I mean, just all the regulations around it, but just there's such an opportunity there. And I have to tell you, I haven't had anyone on yet talking beverage. So I'm so excited to dive into that with you today. But before we get there, Luke, share a little bit about your background. You were in management consulting before starting this business. Just share some of that story with our audience.
2: My background doesn't really make any sense. Uh-huh. So for, for anyone out there who's wondering if, if the things they're doing add up to what they want to do entrepreneurially, it's, it's all about just building skills. I was an architecture major in undergrad. I was a math teacher at a public high school for two years. And then I was a management consultant at Bain & Co., uh, focusing on consumer package goods, but but took a two year break to to go to business school at HBS in in between my pre MBA and post MBA consulting work. So very very corporate uh, lead in, but at, at the last couple of years at, at Bain and Company, I worked in a unit that specifically focused on helping big multinational CPG companies behave more like startups. And what that looked like was assembling a cross-functional team of six to eight people with different sets of experiences and, uh, you know, a finance person and a marketing person and a salesperson. You may not think would all work together at a big company, but that's one of the reasons why they're so slow to innovate and they're so slow to put out new products and brands. Uh, this, this 18-month, multi-million-dollar product launch cycle tends to plague big companies, and, and that's why they acquire, I, I think, brands that have been developed uh, more nimbly. So so I, I learned a lot about how to get big companies to behave more like startups, but after doing a few of those product projects, I, I wanted to be my own startup. Um, I just didn't really have an idea. Thankfully, my, my co-founder, Jake, had been dreaming about microdose <laughs> THC beverages for, for about a decade. When we were colleagues at Bain & Company, we started on the same day in 2012. He went off and did Bain Capital and, and consumer retail investing. Uh, but, uh, you know, grew up in Colorado, witnessed the legalization of cannabis, and said he thought that microdose beverages were going to be the dominant form factor one day. And, and I said, well, let me try and apply this startup y toolkit I learned at Bain and, and let's launch it in Los Angeles together.
0: Wow.
1: I love that. Well, and for those who don't know, what microdosing is. I'll have you answer that. I, when I remember when I, during my time at Coca Cola, we actually launched this machine called Freestyle, and and micro was like the method by which you know you added flavor or components to a beverage.
2: We call a micro dose for ten milligrams. Some people call low dose, and then a hundred milligrams. Some people call higher dose. Uh, so when I say microdose THC beverage, I mean a beverage that has less than two and a half milligrams. And why that's interesting is and why Jake wanted to bring this product into the distance uh, many, many years ago is that thousands of years of human history have been spent socializing around beverages. And, and when you think about the ones that have intoxicant ingredients like tea or coffee with caffeine or beer and wine with alcohol, it's really a microdose of alcohol Absolutely. that you're consuming or a microdose of caffeine.
1: So you guys have this idea, you're, the microdosing, uh, you know, is potential, right? And so, how did you get started? Like, what were the first steps to even start a business in this space, uh, let alone the, be in the beverage space?
2: If you narrow and eliminate variables that lead to a complex launch process, so we said, let's do one skew, which is a six pack of two milligram uh, beverages in an aluminum can format three different flavors but two of each flavor bundled in one six-pack so there's only one product we were selling we picked one geography los angeles home to lots of healthy hedonists which we thought our target consumer would look like (laughs) who who want to you know go out until the bars close down at 2 a.m and then wake up at 8 a.m. and go to SoulCycle to jump start their, their health kick again. Right. Um, that, that's a very you know high concentration in Los Angeles population. Uh, and then we we picked one retailer rather than going in a number of retailers at the same time, we said, let's just go into MedMed. That's that is a premium brand retailer that looks like it's filled with our target consumer. And by only focusing on one SKU, one retailer and one geography we said, and, and being uncompromising on the product ideals, like it's got to be in an aluminum can. It's got to be two milligrams. Um, we, we devised some really amazing flavors and sort of tons of calorie and sugar content and ingredient quality. And then just said, all right, let's six months. Let's, uh, let's take a $500,000 budget and let's figure out how to build and manufacture and, and distribute and sell in and, and one retailer, in one geography. And if it goes well, then let's do it everywhere. Another reason why cannabis beverages have not necessarily taken off yet is people are thinking too big with giant budgets and trying to get stuff to go all over the country or in all, another country like Canada where, where it's federally um, legal. It, it, and by doing that, you, you miss all of the key points that would make for that product to be successful in a very narrow environment. Like, we learned that people loved the fact that it had some CBD in it, but they would they really liked that it wasn't a CBD-only beverage because they didn't think CBD drinks really worked for them and they couldn't feel anything. We learned that they really liked the flavor profiles of mixing fresh juice and a little bit of herbs. And we learned that they liked, at uh, price point, uh, the lower and closer to $20 uh, per six pack that uh, it could get. And so because we had a narrow focus and we were just analyzing the same limited set of consumers' data and, and slowly expanded the aperture, it it was a, an easy and uh, quick scale-up process once we knew we had product market fit. But when you have it everywhere and there's so many different retailers, you may end up with a false negative where you know people aren't buying it, but it's because you're not giving it enough attention Got in it. the channel that you've picked.
1: Interesting. I love that. And that's a great strategy for those that think you got to be everywhere all at the same time. Um, so you, you, how did you figure out the formulation? I know you guys were super smart and all, did you have to lean on partners or colleagues or friends that knew like how to, you know, bring together different types of ingredients and make something that tastes good? Like, what did that look like?
0: Formulation
2: is like an art and a science. And and the art side of it is you, you have to come with a mood board. You have to you have, have an idea of what types of ingredients you want to use, and you also have to have some guardrails. Like we knew we wanted to use not from concentrate juice because it tasted better. And if we used a flavoring, we wanted to use something all natural, nothing you know chemically modified. Um, we wanted to use a sweetener that was different than your traditional sugars and and our know, monk fruit. And and so we came in met a food scientist after speed dating a few. And said, "Hey, we, we think we want to use these fruits. We want to use these herbs. Can you help get the pH and the bricks correct?" And and we tinkered with it in a, a couple of different laboratory days and did some consumer testing in between, and and found that we had three winners for for launch: lemon lavender, grapefruit rosemary, and blood orange cardamom. The the science part about it um, is is the food science, obviously the pH and the bricks, and and needing it to be shelf stable. But it's also a little bit of data science. Uh, we analyzed human beings' search interest via publicly available Google Trends data, and and found that this trend towards savory, herbal flavor profiles is something that is happening and is accelerating. So we wanted to take that and say, let's let's uh, let's make sure that we are not just saying fruit and sweet and fun. We're using Herbal, plant-based, natural, which we knew uh, from the data, uh, people were searching for in DIY recipes. But also, if you look at forward-thinking natural grocers aisles like One or, or Whole Foods, you'll see a lot of herbs in that in the beverage aisle. Uh, I think those are, you know, a sign of things to come.
1: Sure. Now the industry is um, obviously regulated and differentiated by state um, and geography. Uh, how are you guys thinking about that in terms of your strategy? I, I love the idea of hey, we picked a geography that was where we could really get started. In I, in fact, some I read some incredible numbers in terms of you guys uh, owning what potentially what twenty five percent of the market um, just in in the California area in terms of, uh, the beverage sales around that. And so how do you think about growth beyond that? And, and is it state by state or what, how do you think about strategy?
2: Yeah, we, we started in California and you know, every single opportunity you get to widen based on what you know works, you just keep doing it. So (laughs) we we moved from Los Angeles to San Francisco and then to San Diego, but because cannabis is still federally illegal in the United States, You have to make the product in every state that you sell Ah, it. Ah,
1: got it. Okay, interesting.
2: Even though it's legal in Oregon, even though it's legal in Washington, even though it's legal in Nevada, we have to build and manufacture and distribute in each of those states. You can't ship in
1: finished product, basically.
2: No, not at all. Not even if the bordering states both have similar cannabis regulations.
1: Interesting. So
2: we've been lucky enough to find partners who want to work with us excited about the cannabis beverage space and excited about our brand. And so now we're in uh, Nevada as well through a different partner. We're in Massachusetts and Rhode Island through different partners. And we just launched Illinois through Green Thon Industries, a, a really big publicly traded cannabis company um, that we signed a deal with for, for a lot of different states. And so you'll start to see even more of those come up, uh, you know, tri-state area is really not so far away now that New and New Jersey are both on a similar regulatory timeline for rec sales. Um, and and you know, you'll you'll see us continue to pop up based on partners' availability and how they prioritize building beverage manufacturing, uh, to, which is not an easy thing to do. It's an expensive set of equipment. And it's also not that appealing because it only serves the individual state that it it operates. So other cross-border opportunities in Canada and Mexico, which both have different, but very favorable regulations for our product, uh, those are probably on the docket for the next couple of years as well.
1: Interesting. You you talked about launching with one flavor. Um, What's your thoughts on, when to go to others Um, and obviously expanding flavor options is good for the consumer, but maybe challenging in terms of distribution and for producing that same product in different geographies. What does that look like in your mind?
2: We launched actually one SKU, but it was three flavors in one SKU. Got it. And when we got the feedback that people liked all three of them equally, or it was like, you know, 35%, 35%, 30%. Um, between the grapefruit, the blood orange, and the lemon, then we split them up in three different skews. And when we looked at the day all really strong. Then we started launching seasonal skews. So we said, let's do ginger lemongrass for St. Patrick's Day. Got it. Put it in a green can. Let's, let's do pineapple jalapeno for summertime. And it's tropical. Let's do cranberry sage for wintertime. Uh, it's it's tart and and festive, and. We're also picking up a bunch of limited edition SKUs and talent partners. We we launched uh, Lime Basil with Ruby Rose in Northern California. And we're about to launch a really cool flavor in August with uh, toe glow Oh wow famous singer from
1: That's cool Sweden.
2: So we we've we've got a lot of celebrities on our top table who invested in the brand and, and what's great about having celebrity investors is and so they want to help. They right. want to put their name behind it and, and is, and they aren't looking for just a flash and pan endorsement, and then off to the next.
1: Right. That's really really cool. Yeah. You also have raised some good venture capital money. Um, how important is that to building the brand? And was that something that you needed to do? And what is that providing for? Is it providing you the marketing support, the manufacturing? What does that look for? What does it look like?
2: It's been so necessary, and it it funds two things. One, the people and two the product. Sure. We we are very, very lean on everything that's not product and people. Um, we we have a talented group of full time employees and everyone is so focused and dedicated on trying to get the product that the retailers in cannabis say shouldn't, you know, be on the shelf or it doesn't make sense. Right. We kind of get it out into the world so that the people or trying to drink less alcohol and replace it with some cannabis beverages, they, they have the opportunity to. Um, but it takes a real army of very, very sharp sellers and creatives and and operational folks and strategic folks to get that done. Um, and then there's the product. We learned, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the closer it is to a $20 price point, and even better if it's, it's around $18. But more people treat it like an alcoholic beverage, six-pack purchase. Got it. But when it's closer to $30, people savor it and they drink one at a time and they say, I don't want to run out. We want people going through this faster and making it more of a social drink. Got it. Um, so we, we, we've raised a lot of equity financing to subsidize losses on the product because just, at a certain point, when we scale up, we're going to be able to flip uh, the business to being very profitable once we're able to negotiate price breaks on all of our non-cannabis, non-state-by-state costs.
1: Got it. Makes sense. Um, you think you know? You spent. You mentioned you spent time in the broader CPG industry um, back in your consulting days. You no, know, there's some big beverage providers out there uh, that are d- distributing non-alcoholic and alcoholic beverages to all over not only North America but more broadly. Why haven't they gotten into the beverage mm-hmm. cannabis space yet? Or do you think they will? Or what's what's been your take on that?
2: I mean, they kind of have they they've been uh doing things in Canada, I think Molson cores constellation and ABN and have, have, have all had different partnerships even um, true
1: they've invested uh, you're right, yeah
2: yep yep and and some of them very very large sums of money are you know as well publicized that constellation brands put four billion dollars into your cannabis beverage. So, you know, I think that they're looking at it as a let's wait and see and let's let's try and play in regulatory spaces that are safer. But uh, it's only a matter of time before the United States flips, and we think that we're going to partner with someone who really understands how to, you know, move large amounts of very, very heavy and bulky inventory, right, like you guys right. call it, Consumer consumer companies understand. Um, but in the meantime, we want to be the cleanest of the category. So we need to get it out there in every state that will have us and, and have the consumer just fall in love with it.
1: Totally agree. First to market. I mean, you can learn that from a lot of other brands in the consumer product space that we could talk about. Um, in, you've uh, obviously grown very quickly and so and exciting. You've you've locked in strong uh, venture capital. What would be two or three of your pieces of advice you'd to other entrepreneurs that are listening as you think about your path in launching Can and in terms of getting the the company up and off the road? Um, like, what would be some of the things you'd share with our listening audience?
2: All about focus. The the choice to have enough cash in the bank to be able to take swings. If you are very very conservative with how you spend your money in the early days, you end up missing opportunities. And, and as incredibly inspiring as some of these bootstrap business success stories are, they're, they're few and far between. Um, it's a good idea to raise money so that you can recruit talented people, so that you can pay to to play in in strategic spaces. But it's very disorienting unless you are focused. And the more you can eliminate variables that prevent you from. Identifying what isn't, isn't working, the better. So one SKU, one retailer, one geography to start. You know, one zip code, one one Right. Stock, so f- one. So narrow the focus
1: it, is what you're saying.
2: Yeah, one promotion, one set of bud tender engagement models. You know, it, or it's our traditional CPG. One one set of uh, relationship building techniques for retailers that i care about there's there's a lot of a lot of noise there's a lot of things that we just know work there's a lot of people you can ask for advice from who who know what works and if you eliminate the noise from the product and channel and and partner side of things you'll have an easier time understanding how to grow and how to scale
1: well, wow. and then what about the importance of a, a co-founder? And you, you know, you, you the two of you have launched the business together, um, and you've had a co-founder. Not a, not everyone that we have on our show has a co-founder. How important is it to have someone like that working with you and or the right team around you?
2: I would I would go ahead and say it's essential. Um, but Again, there are examples of people who are solo founders who have built big businesses incredibly successfully. And there are also way more examples of solo founders who, because of the psychological trauma involved in getting a company (laughs) off the ground and, and the many roadblocks and how weak and tired you are, um, don't because, not because the product wasn't a good idea, but because it was too much for them to hold as one individual. and more than that having two people arguing from different perspectives you end up finding a middle ground that makes more sense for everybody and so Jake and I are very different i'm I'm really outgoing he's a little more introverted um I'm a little bit more like wacky creative and he's a little <laughs> bit more analytical and precise Got and, it. and so because we work really well together we can do twice as many things and and sometimes you just pass something to somebody and sometimes you pass it to the other based on whose skills and capabilities best match the task at hand.
1: Totally. And yeah, I love that. I, I, I totally agree. And it's nice to have that balance, uh, you know, like having the creative side and then the more analytic side, um, especially uh, when, launching a business and dealing with all kinds of different challenges and opportunities. Um, Man, this has been so great having you on the show, Luke. I'm so excited for you guys. Um, I, this space is just booming and growing rapidly. And I mean, you guys are setting the pace, I think, around the beverage, like having an actual beverage that's doing so well in market and so and so much growth potential. And I'm um, really excited for you guys. So thanks for being on the show today. I hope you'll come back on down the road. You're going to have lots more stories to share with us. And again, thank you.
2: Thank you. And to anyone who's listening and is in one of the five states we're in, if you want to drink less alcohol, go pick up a can (laughs) from a dispensary. Follow follow us on Instagram at D R I N K C A N N. It's a a true game changer for people that want to drink less booze, which is one of the more harmful things we put in our body, and, and also safely explore cannabis without fear of having a negative experience from getting too high.
1: I love that. Yeah, drink can. Two um, Right? And I, I, it's, just, it's just great. I, I didn't even think about the health benefits of this. but I, And I don't know that everyone realizes that. You know what I mean? In terms of thinking about the trade-off between this and, and regular alcohol. Well, Luke, thanks again for being here and look forward to having you back on.
0: Thanks so much. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands.